Ladies and gentlemen, I am so sorry, but I have made a terrible mistake from last week's podcast episode. I called last week's episode, episode 40, and how wrong was I because we are on episode 42. And last week's episode should have been 41, so I am so sorry for that mix-up. You are still listening to the best podcast hosted by your boy, Kevin. So, with that being said, let's dive into a summary of what we will be talking about today. So the first story we're going to talk about today is, um, well, obviously, one of my favorite subjects, which is uh, demonstrators who are gathered around, uh, it's not one of my favorite subjects, I'm sorry, I was just stalling for time. Um, it's uh, demonstrators who have been uh, kind of uprising in Greece. Uh, this is the third day, I believe, um, and there has been some dispute going on. Our second piece of news is about Saudi Arabia and its ban on foreigners due to its suspicion of coronavirus. Our third piece of news for today is going to be talking about a new moon that will be following our moon on Earth and how a, a small piece of asteroid or meteor is uh, orbiting our Earth like a moon. Our fourth piece of news is going to be about red pandas and how there might be not only one species but two different species of red pandas. And for our fifth and final piece of news, Today, we are going to be talking about Britain and Brexit and how it plans on dealing with that today. So with that being said, I am ready to take you on this podcast journey. As you know, my name is Kevin, and this is A Mention with Kevin. Let's dive right into it. So, for our first piece of news, demonstrators gathered Thursday, or today, for a fourth consecutive day. Um, and today is February 27th, 2020, and this is episode 42, just reminding you guys. Uh, so, demonstrators gathered today for a fourth consecutive day on the eastern Greek island of Lesbos and Chios to protest government plans to build new migrant detention centers. Not really my favorite subject, CC. The protests come and amid heightened tensions and occasional violence on islands that are the main entry point for tens of thousands of people seeking better lives in the European Union. Shops and services were shut down on Lesbos as workers extended an initial 24-hour strike into a second day as part of the protests. The mayors of Lesbos, Chios, and nearby islands of Samos met with Prime Minister Kriakos Mitsotakis Thursday evening. The mayor and the Prime Minister agreed on the need to immediately ease overcrowding on the islands. The Prime Minister's office said after the meeting, Mitsotaki's office announced he would visit all three islands starting in coming days with Samos, whose migrant camp has the most severe overcrowding problem. On Wednesday, protests, gener 
uh, degener degenerated into violence, with hundreds of demonstrators attacking police, guarding the building sites of future migrant detention camps on Chios and Lesbos. A crowd had also laid siege for hours to a Lesbos army camp where riot squads were staying. Officials said 43 police officers were injured in the violence in Lesbos and another nine in Chios, where a mob burst into a hotel being used by riot police and beat officers resting in their rooms. The government has said it will put out many of the riot police and that, uh, and that were deployed on the islands earlier this week, but it has insisted its plan to tackle migration including building a new detention centers, speeding up asylum procedures and deportations, and beefing up border controls, will go ahead. It is the only plan that can be implemented, Mitsotakis said on opening remarks during a cabinet meeting Thursday. The Prime Minister condemned attacks against police officers, saying those who participated in the violence will be located and will answer for their actions. At the same time, however, incidents of excessive violence by the police will be investigated, Mitsotakis said. Serious accusations have been made. We have a duty to investigate them. Mitsotakis said he had ordered a significant increase in the number of patrol boats and patrols given what he called an increased public health risk from the new coronavirus, as new arrivals include people from Iran, where cases of the virus have increased significantly in the recent days, and people who have crossed through Afghanistan. Greece's eastern Aegean Sea islands have been the main entry point into Europe for tens of thousands of people fleeing conflict and poverty in the Middle East, Africa, and Asia. Under a 2016 deal between the EU and Turkey, new arrivals must stay on the islands pending de de deportation back to Turkey until their asylum applications are processed. Long delays in the asylum process and increased migrant flows have led to severe overcrowding in the islands, which are several times over capacity. Island residents have demanded that all migrants be moved to the mainland and vehemently object to new camps being built in their areas. So very interesting news for this. Um, obviously, there is quite a flux of migrant, uh, migrants and refugees coming across into Greece. Um, we don't really hear about them, but they're all along the Mediterranean. Um, so obviously people are upset of just the overcrowding that's going on. Um, a better system should be put in place. Yes. Um, it's difficult when there's so many people on one small island, uh, not only because uh, they have to plan for those resources, um, but there might not be enough room for everybody. Um, and just a lot of problems. They're not built uh, up in terms of the mainland, in terms of having enough space uh, to house these people. Uh, so it's interesting that the problems that this is bringing up, and especially amidst hysteria with the coronavirus. Um, so I could see why violence is breaking out, and we'll see how this kind of plays out in Greece and maybe some other um, Mediterranean countries. We haven't heard much from any others, but it appears... Um, that this is kind of a mutual feeling between other countries where uh, migrants travel across uh, the Mediterranean Sea to enter the European Union. Our second piece of news is about Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia today suspended foreigners' entry from the Umrah 
pilgrimage, and tourism from countries where the new coronavirus has spread as a growing number of cases outside China deepened fears of pandemic. The kingdom, which hosts the two holiest sites of Islam in Mecca and Medina, welcomes millions of Muslim visitors throughout the year with a peak for the Hajj pilgrimage. It introduced a new tourism visa last October for 49 countries. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs said in a statement that the suspensions were temporary, but provided no time frame for the expiry. It was unclear if the Hajj, which is scheduled to begin in late July, would be impacted. Entry is most suspended for visits to the Prophet's Mosque in Medina. Saudi Arabia has no cases of the coronavirus, but it has been spreading in some of the neighboring countries. The ministry did not specify people from which countries would be affected, but said the kingdom's health authorities would determine whether the outbreak constituted as a danger. Saudi Arabia's top tourism officials said last week 400,000 tourist visas have been issued since their launch in October, and the country aims to attract 100 million visits in 2030 which is quite quite a few um which is kind of insane to think about that i think canada has just regained a visa as well in terms of a travel visa for this pilgrimage so the number of new coronavirus infections inside china the source of the outbreak was for the first time overtaken by new cases elsewhere on wednesday with italy and iran emerging as epicenters of the rapidly spreading illness. Asia reported hundreds of new cases, Brazil confirmed Latin America's first infection, and the new disease, COVID-19, was also detected for the first time in Pakistan, Sweden, Norway, Greece, Romania, and Algeria. U.S. health authorities managing 59 cases mostly American repatriated from a cruise ship in Japan have said a global pandemic is likely. U.S. President Donald Trump told Americans on Wednesday that the risk remains very low and placed Vice President Mike Pence in charge of the U.S. response. Uh, Kind of like Trump to kind of delegate things that he doesn't want to kind of have his name written or have a high chance of failure to his right-hand man, Mr. Pence. But it is very interesting to see this, um, especially since there's so many countries um that have gained this new visa this new travel visa and it was supposed to be a big thing for saudi arabia to kind of gain new tourism and new um i guess capital through this uh but i guess that that's going to have to be pushed back and they're gonna have to wait for that um i had a feeling that they would do this just because understanding that uh there is the pilgrimage that is done through mecca and medina i i understand this a little bit um but I understand as well that Iran has a very large Muslim population. And I'm sure it did scare Saudi Arabia to hear that um, Iran was begin- beginning to become an epicenter of this disease outbreak. And to hear that in July when they would have to, uh, if some of them had planned to do a pilgrimage, um, that they could possibly bring the coronavirus in such um, kind of a mass area where, where people can really be exposed, uh, probably scared Saudi Arabia. So I, I can see why they moved to this step to try to protect their people. And um, we'll just see if uh, this virus can get any better. Hopefully uh, we will stop seeing kind of the the stoppage of 
travel for many people in terms of uh, because of the spread of this virus. Hopefully something can be determined or we're just going to see that it becomes a pandemic and things are going to have to change for a little while. With that being said, let's move on to some um, more interesting news and my kind of my thoughts uh, that are more interesting. Um, our third piece of news is about a tiny new companion of Earth's uh, that will join it in its journey around the sun, at least for now. The new mini-moon is an asteroid called 2020 CD3. It's about 1.9 to 3.5 meters in diameter, roughly between the size of a cow and a hippopotamus. It was confirmed to have been captured and temporarily bound to the Earth by the International Astronomical Union's Minor Planet Center at the Smithsonian Astronomical Observationary on Tuesday. The organization is responsible for the designation of minor bodies in the solar system. The asteroid was discovered by Kakperwesjos and Theodore Prune, astronomers with the Catalina Sky Survey. On February 15th, Wesjos said in a tweet that described it as big news. The Catalina Sky Survey is a NASA-funded program based out of the University of Arizona that catalogs, catalogs potential hazard asteroids. It's a big deal. As of out of 1 million known asteroids, this is just the second asteroid known to orbit Earth, where's Josh said. The first was 2006 RH120, also founded by the Catalina Sky Survey, which was most recently orbited Earth between September 2006 and June 2007. It has since resumed orbiting the Sun. The reason many moons orbit Earth for such a short time compared to the Moon, which has been orbiting Earth for more than 4 billion years, is that they are pulled in by Earth's, the Moon's, and the Sun's gravity at the same time, producing irregular orbits. At some point, the Sun's gravity will win, and the, weak, and, and the object will break free of its orbit around Earth. However, so far, astronomers estimate that 2020 CD3 has already been orbiting the Earth for about three years. Even though many moons are rarely discovered, a University of Hawaii study in 2011 calculated that there will be at least one asteroid with a diameter of at least one meter orbiting Earth at any given time. On average, such a mini moon would orbit Earth for nine months, but this could... Uh, but some could orbit for decades, it is estimated. So just inter interesting to see that our little, um, our little planet here on Earth um, has another moon that is joining us uh, for the ride. Uh, it's a little bit smaller than our moon, uh, probably the size of a cow or a hippopotamus. Um, but that's kind of cool to think about. So it would be fun to kind of like have kids or, or I don't know, people try to name this kind of moon. We can name it whatever we want. Um, and think about like uh, having this little guy kind of with us for a little bit and then having like a little send-off party when he leaves our orbit. Uh, but I think this is really funny news to hear about this, and so I just thought of it as something interesting to record on. All right, some other fun news that I found, because you know what? I want to try to liven up this Thursday episode. Our fourth piece of news is about red pandas, those little raccoon-looking guys. So, 
Red pandas, the bushy-tailed and russet-furred bamboo munchers that dwell in Asia, high forests, are not a single species, but rather two distinct species. According to the most comprehensive genetic study to date on these endangered mammals. Wow. So scientists said on Wednesday that they found sustainable divergence between the two species, Chinese red pandas and Himalayan red pandas, and three genetic markers in an analysis of DNA from 65 of the animals. The recognition of the existence of two separate species could help guide conservation efforts for, an for a mammal adored by many people even as its numbers dwindle in the wild, they added. Chinese red pandas are found in northern Myanmar, as well as southeastern Tibet, Sichuan, and Yunnan provinces in China, while Himalayan red pandas are native to Nepal, India, Bhutan, and southern Tibet in China, the researchers said. International experts have estimated a total population of a roughly 10,000 red pandas in the wild. To conserve the genetic uniqueness of the two species, we should avoid their interbreeding in captivity, said Chinese academic, uh, Academia of Sciences Conservation biologist Yibo Hu, who among with colleagues Fu Yin Wei, led the study published in the journal Science Advances. Interbreeding between species may harm the genetic adaptations already established for their local habitat environment. Scientists previously recognized red pandas as div divided into two subspecies. While it has been proposed that these were separate species, the new study was the first to provide the genetic data necessary to allow such a judgment. The Himalayan red panda is a scarcer of the two and needs urgent protection because of low genetic diversity and small population size, Wu said. The Wailu Zangbu River most likely marks a geographical boundary separating the two species, not the Nujing River as previously believed. Wu added, The two species also differ in colorization and skull shape. The Himalayan red panda are more white on the face, while the face coat of the Chinese red panda is redder and less white on it. The, the tail rings of the Chinese red panda are more distinct than those of the Himalayan red panda, with dark rings being more dark red and the pale rings being more whitish, Hugh said. Slightly bigger than a domestic cat, red pandas have thick fur, short snouts, and pointy ears, spending much of their life in trees and dining mostly on bamboo. Major threats of the red panda include deforestation and degradation of their habitat due to human development. Despite similar names, red pandas and giant pandas are not closely related. Giant pandas are one of the world's eight bear species. Red pandas, with no close living relatives, are sometimes called living fossils as the only remaining member of the Alrudiae mammalian family. They are probably mostly closely related to a group that includes weasels, raccoons, and skunks. Yeah, I, I have to say, like, looking at these guys, I love red pandas. They are coming to the funniest guys ever. If you see the, the videos that have uh, these little guys being mischievous at zoos and pranking each other, they're hilarious. Especially the one, the little vine, where the little raccoon scares the other one. I mean, not raccoon, red panda scares the other one, and the other one faints. 
gold. Uh, but like I said, I, these guys really look like raccoons. And so it was kind of obvious to kind of see that they're more closely related to raccoons than bears. Um, they're just really cute. And so uh, I, hopefully this motivates us to kind of uh, keep looking at them as an endangered species. And hopefully we can protect them in the future. And finally, with our last piece of news, we're going to be talking about Brexit. Britain unveiled a negotiating mandate on Thursday for trade talks with the European Union that puts it on a coalition course with Brussels, saying it was ready to walk away if good progress was not made by June. After officially leaving the EU last month, Britain has until the end of the year to negotiate a trade deal and agreements on everything from fishing to transport to replace more than 40 years of closely aligned political and economic relations. Ooh. Having accepted that by leaving the EU's customs union and single market, British businessmen will encounter new frictions in trade with the bloc. The government has made its stance clear. Self-determination must trump economic concerns. So if by June, good progress has not been made on Britain's demand for what is called a standard free trade agreement, or even the least controversial areas of the talks, London said it would focus on the preparations for a sharp break from the EU. The EU is holding a summit on June 3rd to 5th in Prague. At the end of the transition period on the 31st of December, the United Kingdom will fully recover its economic and political independence. Cabinet Office Minister Michael Gove told Parliament as he unveiled the mandate. We want the best possible building uh, trading relationship with the EU. But in pursuit of a deal, we will not trade away our sovereignty. Prime Minister Boris Johnson, the face of Britain's campaign to leave the EU in 2016, vowed to get Brexit done at last year's election and, after winning a large minority, has charged his team with the goal of taking back control. Both sides say that they want a deal before the deadline of the 31st of December 2020 so that the trade can flow, albeit, with some additional checks and that arrangements on issues such as aviation can roll over seamlessly. But with the two sides unable to agree on even the format of talks scheduled to begin on Monday, the negotiations look set to a battle of wills. Michael Barnier, the EU's chief negotiator, said Brussels had taken note of the mandate. We will stick to all our prior commitments in the political declaration he tweeted, referring to an outline agreement on future ties signed by both parties. We want an ambiguous and fair partnership between the, EQ the UK and the future. Britain's main opposition, Le Labour Party, locked in a leadership battle, said Brexit, uh, was far from done. The government's ambition for our new relationship with our most important trading partner is frankly underwhelming, said Paul Bloomfield, a Labour spokesperson on Brexit. With a large majority in Parliament, Johnson and his team feel he had won the public back for a clean break in ties to restore what he calls British sovereignty. That is at odds with Brussels, pursuit of a closer trading relationship at the heart of the conflict in Britain's demand for a trading deal along the lines of one between the EU and Canada. The EU has ruled out, uh, ruled that out, saying Britain being a neighbor of the bloc 
is a greater threat to the bloc's market as it does more business than Canada. It fears Britain could undercut its market by lowering standards. Geography is no reason to undermine democracy, Gov told Parliament. To be clear, we will not be seeking to dynamically align with the EU rules on EU terms governed by the EU laws and EU institutions. This is effect ruled out a demand from the EU to adhere to its level playing field, shorthand for agreed baseline, rules on environment standards, labor regulations, and state aid. If a standard trade agreement is not an offer, Britain ha has said it will pursue what is called a relationship similar to that established between the EU and Australia. At the moment, much of EU-Australia trade runs along basic World Trade Organization default rules, though there are some specific agreements for certain goods. Britain says that an independent co uh, coastal nation, it will not trade away its fishing rights. Britain is also demanding legally binding obligations on access to the EU market for its important financial services industry, something the EU says is not on the agenda. We want and we will always seek the best possible relationship with our friends and allies in Europe, but we will always put the welfare of the British people first, Gov said. That means ensuring British, ensuring British people exercise the dem democratic control over our destiny for which they voted so decisively. If I could just add a little opinion here, um, I think the whole Brexit ordeal was a little blown up. As I've said before, I think it was xenophobia, a little bit of racism, discrimination, a desire to bring Britain back to its former colonial glory, make Britain great again was kind of its battle cry, or white again, whatever you want to say. I felt it was a little racist. Um, but yeah, my opinion might be wrong with that. Uh, but in terms of this, I don't think Britain will leave this um, with Brexit having better deals than they had before with the United, uh, the European Union. I think they had it great with the European Union. I think what was set up was good for both parties, and it had helped them both, and they depended on each other both greatly. And now that they've quit, I think it's time that the European Union takes charge and lays down the law. Um, if they're not going to be part of the union, then there need to be some stricter guidelines on their trade deals. They're probably going to get the short end of the stick now. And okay, they're going to fight for the British people, but at the end of the day, the European Union is dealing with a lot more people in its population in terms of all those European cities and countries that are contributing to it, and especially its economy. So I can't see any good way that Britain is going to last out of this. If anything, I think um, we're going to see some hard times for Britain in the future, and it'll be interesting to see how the EU kind of reacts. Maybe they might be charitable. Uh, maybe I might be completely wrong, though. You guys can let me know um, at my Twitter, which I will mention at the end of the episode. So we will go to finally our favorite time of the night and that is kevin's corner of advice where you guys the listeners sometimes email me some questions that you have on life's big problems and i your host kevin try to solve them here on a mention with kevin so the question that we have today is what can i replace frozen pizzas with a strange question but one that has caught my interest let's dive in I eat frozen pizzas multiple times a week for dinner, and I really want to start eating better. What is something I can replace 
frozen pizza with? Well, my friend, it's very easy. I am a, um, I have Latin American background. I'm a big fan of the foods that come from there. Sweet potato is something that grows in Peru. It is delicious. We call it camote. Camote can be made in so many ways. Um, I love it. Um, you can microwave it. You can bake it. You can make it into fries. Um, you can make it into a kind of, well, this is a really Peruvian thing. We, we call, have things called picarrones, which we can make like flour out of the sweet potato and make it into like a donut. So you can make it into a donut, essentially. Um, not that I'm recommending you to do that because that may be a little bit unhealthier. But I think having a nice sweet potato and then having some delicious legumes like asparagus, um, what else? Broccoli or cauliflower, uh, possibly an avocado if, if the wallet allows it. Sweet potato is usually pretty affordable and so is asparagus or broccoli. So I would try to replace it with that. And then I'm personally more of a fish kind of guy, but you could also have eggs. I would not really recommend, or maybe chicken. I wouldn't recommend any red meat as it's a little bit high in fat. And I don't know, it's not very good for your cardiovascular system. So I would suggest having like a nice salmon filet, tilapia, something like that. And then maybe replacing uh, with your drink with a, your... I don't know, your sugary pop with a, a glass of wine or something like that. And for your Friday evenings, you can have that. A nice glass of red and uh, enjoying these delicious and very healthy things. You have your protein from your fish or your eggs or your chicken. You have your legumes providing you with essential nutrients such as iron, um, fiber, um, vitamins, and of course... You're getting some of the very important carbohydrates that you need from that sweet potato. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to end tonight's episode. I want to thank you so much for listening today on this Thursday episode. If you have any questions or something you want to see in this show, remember to send me a mention at Kevin underscore Hobie at Twitter.com. If you want to check out some more of my content, you can go to YouTube.com, type in Kevin Hobie, You can check out my channel there, or you can see my second channel by typing in Studio Kevin. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to remember to always brush your teeth and floss, and I will see you on the next one. Ciao.